Welcome to the Nations Church Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. So cool. Now, uh, here's a disclaimer. We need a, we need a preaching disclaimer this morning. The, the first half of this word is a bit hard going, okay? Are you all right? Is everybody all right? Have a, have a shake in your seat. The people, the people after the earlier service, they told me the first half was a bit hard going, but the second half got really, really good. So I just need a commitment for you guys, from all of you guys that you're going to stay with me in the first half of the word, okay? Because the second half gets better. Okay, praise the Lord. We've done a disclaimer. Who's ready for this word of the Lord? You're like, I'm not really sure. But we're going there. We're going there. We're going there. We had a really wonderful couple of months in the life of church, haven't we? So good. Like prayer and fasting season was so significant and conference was just amazing. And we're so grateful to God. We're grateful for all that he has done. And, and as you saw on news just now, it's about this time of year, every year, we deep dive into the topic of wholeness. Everyone say wholeness wholeness, wholeness. If you've been around nations a while, you know exactly what I mean. Yeah, give me a nod. Yeah. (laughs) If you're new to nations, get ready. (laughs) You're about to find out what wholeness season is all about. But one of the cultures of this house is we're about wholeness. We're committed to pursuing personal growth, wholeness, and seeing Christ transform us from the inside out. We didn't just write that because we needed things to fill the pages of our website, right? (laughs) We actually mean it. We actually, it's the deep intention of our heart to be a people and to lead a people who are passionately pursuing wholeness and life transformation in Jesus Christ from the inside out. Because we're disciples, right? We're disciples of Christ. And isn't that the goal of our discipleship to be more like Him? To be, and so, unless you're here today, and you perfectly resemble Jesus Christ in word and thought and deed, then we can unanimously agree that we've all still got work to do, right? We've all still got things to do in the area of our wholeness. And this year, particularly, I feel like the wholeness conversation has already begun. Is anybody here for Pastor David's message last week? He preached two messages, both equally amazing. Dial into the podcast if you missed those. But then there was also Pastor Ben Fitzgerald's messages at conference, oh my goodness, where he just absolutely went after our inner life and he went after intimacy in Jesus Christ and with Jesus. And it's actually one of his messages from conference Sunday morning that I'm going to use as like a launch pad for today's message. And if you were there for his message on conference Sunday morning at PCEC, he began his thoughts by saying that God is not going to give the next move of God on the earth to orphans. Remember that? He's not going to give the next move of God to a people that refuse to be fathered by him. And part of his fathering in our lives is allowing him to correct us. Everyone say correction. Oh, glory to the Lord. Correction. Okay, he took us to a passage in Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to read that again together today. Hebrews 12, we're going to start reading at verse 5. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement? Okay, encouragement. Everyone just take mental note. Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father, addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. 
and he chastens everyone who he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, then you are not legitimate. You are not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us. Our good earthly fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Shout loud, amen. Amen. Later on, however, say later on. Later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. What an epic passage of scripture. Such a good one. There's um, 11 references in those six verses. Words like father, son, child, daughter, used 11 times in six verses. So there's absolutely no mistaking. We're supposed to approach this text through the lens of an understanding that we are children of God, that he is our great heavenly father and he adores us, right? He loves us. But also in those same six verses, there's the word discipline, rebuke, and chasten 12 times, 12 times. So you see, there's an abundantly clear understanding that we're supposed to take away from this text that inside the parameters of the love of the Father is this thing called correction. Inside of it is this thing called correction. When we think of the love of the Father, Correction is not usually the first thing we think of, right? We usually think of his kindness. We usually think of his unconditional love. And perhaps we think of the prodigal son and that story, father's open arms, receiving us as he found us, the ring and the robe. And all of that is perfectly true, wonderful, correct. We've sung about it today already. It is true. That is the love of the father, but also... If you think of a package as a package deal, it's sort of like, but wait, there's more. (laughs) There's a set of steak knives. But also, there is this thing inside of love called correction. Am I making sense today? Correction does not negate his unconditional nature. It It does not diminish any of those other wonderful things, but it is included as part of the Father's love. And we don't necessarily like it, do we? We don't necessarily desire it or lean into it. And the text actually takes it one step further to say something very intense. It says, if you're not corrected by the Father, you're illegitimate. If you haven't been disciplined by him, you're not a true son at all. Think about that for a minute. It's telling us that this correction component is not an optional part of the love of the Father. It's It's an essential part of the love of the Father for our lives, to be corrected by him. And we know this to be true because we've seen Good earthly fathers. Who was here, uh, who here, you know, was blessed enough to have a a good earthly father? 
not a perfect earthly father, but, you know, a good one. Perfect ones don't exist. But if you were blessed enough to have had a good father, you know, like I can guarantee that their good love for you included correction. They pulled you into line from time to time. Am I right? Not at me if I'm right. You know, they spoke, no doubt, into aspects of your character. And they probably let you know when something was inappropriate or unacceptable or something like that. You know, for me, it was like my dad going, the way you spoke to your mother just then was not appropriate. It was not on. So go and talk to your mother. Like it was like, your room is disgusting. (laughs) I can't see the carpet. You know, like that's that's my dad, the voice of my good earthly father we're throwing back right now but we know that that voice of correction that came from good earthly dads it was born out of their love it came out of their love for us they didn't just care about what we wanted they cared about what we needed they didn't just care about us in a moment but they cared deeply about who we were becoming who who we're becoming in our future see good earthly dads have one eye on their kids future And they're intentional enough to correct, to discipline, to shape and direct in such a way that it's going to set them up, set them up to be successful, set them up to have a great future and fulfill their potential. When our father never corrects or never disciplines, that's not loving, that's indifferent. They don't care enough to invest enough. They don't care enough about who the child is becoming and the result of a lack of fathering in someone's life is often an insecure identity. It's often that they don't fulfill their potential, that perhaps they're a bit wayward, but good dads take the time to correct. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, if this is what good earthly dads are like, how much more our Father in heaven, how much more our heavenly Father, yes, they weren't perfect, but they did do their best to correct and we were the better for it. So how much more when we actually submit to the correcting hand of our perfect heavenly father, amen? The problem is we tend to be a correction-averse people, right? The problem is we, we resist God's hand in the work that he wants to do in the deepest parts of our life. And that was, that was Ben Fitzgerald's whole message to us on that conference Sunday morning. He got incredibly vulnerable with us about all the ways that he had um, dodged the sword, as he called it. All the ways that he had avoided the father's correction in different areas of his life. But the truth is, we all do that. 100% of us, we all have areas in, in our lives where we need the correcting hand of God. We need his discipline. We need his fathering to come around us and, and reach and touch different areas of our lives. But we sometimes find ourselves avoiding the very correction that we need. The text says why we do that. (laughs) It says no discipline seems pleasant in the time, but painful. We avoid because it's not very fun. We avoid because it's not the best thing. It's not the most fun time. It can hurt. So we avoid and we resist. And maybe, just maybe, we hate the idea of correction or we don't lean into it because we've seen it done so badly. You know, not everyone was blessed to have a good earthly father and maybe the human examples of correction that we've actually seen and come across maybe they have caused harm 
whether it be parents or bosses or teachers or church leaders or any other type of person, maybe they've come to your life to try and correct your life and maybe they didn't do it out of love, maybe they did it out of their own dysfunction. You know, maybe they didn't have your best interests at heart, but they were thinking about themselves. Maybe when they've come to try and correct your life, they were sort of out of control, you know, that they were a bit unhinged in their emotions and really loose with their actions and their words and all of those sorts of things so that they didn't actually leave you better. Maybe they caused harm in your life. Maybe they gave you something to get over and if that's ever been your experience and probably we can all relate in some way or another because we live in a fallen world, there's a lot of brokenness around us, there's a lot of mess around us, then of course, then if that's our experience, of course we hate correction, of course we avoid it, of course we don't lean into it, but we need to realize that our heavenly Father's correction is perfect. And we can't be immature. We can't allow a broken human experience of of correction to inform our narrative about what God's correction is actually like in our lives. So if you were to unpack this in Scripture, you would see very clearly that the correction of the Lord will always leave you better than what he found you. You understand how life-giving this is? He will always act and operate for your ultimate best and your highest good. Always, always, always. When he corrects you, he will not leave you. It's correction, it's not rejection. It's correction, it's not abandonment. When he corrects you, he will never leave love. He will never fly off the handle. He will never be unbridled in his emotions. He will never come at you with rage. The scripture says that the Lord is slow to get angry. He abounds in love and faithfulness. The correction of the Lord will always be gentle, will always be kind, will never abandon you. It doesn't matter how long you're messy for. The correction of the Lord is enduring. (laughs) It doesn't matter. He's patient. He's patient. He's patient. Even when we stuff up again and again and again and again. Glory to God. He's patient. And even if the process of his correcting hand in our life, even if it brings momentary hurt, it will never bring us harm will never, ever bring us harm. And and the text tells us that the correction of the Lord is not for no purpose. We're not just doing this for kicks. You know, that's not what this about is about. There's, the text tells us that he does it for our good so that we may share in his holiness, so that we may produce a harvest of righteousness and peace if we would just be trained by this correction. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that wonderful? He's only got good things in mind for you. Amen? Amen. So the question is to all of us, I guess, have you opened up to the Father's correction? Are you open to his correction? If you're taking notes today, I've simply called this message, open up. Open up. We are about wholeness, but how will the Lord bring wholeness into our lives if we're not prepared to open up every single area? Every single area to the correction of the Lord. If we're avoiding, if we're dodging, how's he going to bring correction, right? If the Lord wanted to refine your character, could he? Could he? 
If you wanted to expose maybe blind spots in your lives, areas where perhaps you're carrying deception, could he show those things to you? Could he get to you? Could he reach you? Have you opened up? If there were parts of your life that were stubborn or resistant or proud or domineering or full of sin or rebellion or religion or offense or even... If there was any of that sort of stuff going on in your life, anything at all, can he reach you? Can he get to you? Can he correct you? Or perhaps you have closed off areas. Perhaps you have no-go zones. A family member of mine who will remain nameless and very graciously has given me permission to share this story. And as a disclaimer to this story, I love them very much and I honour them deeply. Deeply. But if you were to go to their house at first glance, you'd be so impressed. It's always neat. It's always ordered. There's no, you would even maybe think that they were minimalist. There's no immediate clutter. It's neat, clean. But then there's a room. (laughs) Visitors don't go to that room. (laughs) To get to that room, you have to go to the end of the corridor. It's the room on the left, and the door is always closed. It If you tried to open the door, it would be very difficult because there is tens of thousands of things in there. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Anyone got a room like that? Some of you giggling nervously. Recently, recently the washing machine in the adjacent uh, laundry, it actually leaked and it flooded that room. And, (laughs) And the whole extended family was called in as backup And we had to open the whole thing up and we had to just expose all the stuff. We just had to deal with everything that we found. I kid you not, we found church bulletins from 1999. You know, Mrs. Smith is baking next week, bring 50 cents, you know, that was was all there. You know, there's a museum of modems in that room from from when the internet was invented. (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Family member will remain nameless. Yeah, it's, it's all good. <laughs> no judgment at all. The, the story is a bit of a giggle, but can't we all be a bit like that? Yeah. <laughs> the junk rooms of our heart, <laughs> you know, the closed areas of our life, the no-go zones. We're happy for people to see particular things, come into particular areas. Lord, you can deal with this and that, but not that room. That one's closed. You can't go there. You can't correct that. You're not going to speak into that. I'm not going to look at that, and so on and so forth. But I just want to say the very first step to wholeness in our inner lives is to actually open it up. It's to actually open up our heart to the Lord. We were able to bring order to the flooded junk room because we just opened it up. We started to deal with the stuff that we found in there. (laughs) That's the first step in our lives too. Open up to the Lord. Grant him access. Let him start to deal. What might the loving, correcting hand of the Father want to do in that place? He knows what you need. He knows what is needed in your life. He knows what to do. We just need to grant him access, even if it means a bit of correction. Even if it means a bit of pain. Hello, you know, even if like... Toughen up. Let's toughen up. Even if it means a bit of pain. Because it's true, when we cleansed that room, it was a pretty ruthless process. We brought the wheelie bin inside. You know, it's getting serious when you bring the wheelie bin inside. (laughs) Chuck this. Chuck that. That's outdated. That belongs to a different season. That was good for then. It's not good for now. 
I know you're attached to it, but you got to let it go. You got to let it go. The process was painful, but the result was altogether better. It was so much better for it. It started, though, with opening up, opening up. There's this group of Christians in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, and they got majorly corrected. I'm not going to beat around the bush. They got corrected. Revelation 3 records the words of Jesus in the letter to the church at Laodicea. And we're going to start reading from verse 17. No doubt about it, this is a letter of correction. Jesus had already called these Laodicean Christians, he called them lukewarm, and it wasn't a compliment, and he wasn't done. There was more. He says in verse 17, he says, You say, in other words, you say about yourselves, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, (coughs) I do not need a thing. That's what you say about yourself. But you do not realize, here we go, that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. (laughs) Ouch! (laughs) You know, like, so, okay, these are the words of Jesus to the Christians at Laodicea. And in other words, he's sort of saying, you guys have got blind spots. You guys are under a little bit of deception. You think one thing about yourself, but I'm actually thinking some different things about you. And I want to ask you a question if you're listening to me right now. Did you feel yourself recoil from verse 17? Did you feel yourself resisting it? Did you feel yourself hating it? See, if we don't understand the nature of the Lord's loving correction, we'll cringe at a passage like this. It'll make us recoil. You read it and you think, well, maybe Jesus was just having a bad day. Maybe Jesus sort of flew off the handle. Or maybe these Laodiceans, they were just really, really not cutting it or whatever. If that's the way we render this text, we will want to avoid it. We won't want to lean into it. We won't want to read it. We definitely won't want to preach about it. Those sorts of things because we think Jesus was just in a bad mood. But let's not be immature about the Lord's correction. Remember, he doesn't leave love. God is love. He can't leave love when he deals with us. God is love. He didn't leave love. Jesus didn't leave love with these Laodicean Christians. If you think about it, if someone's got blind spots, if someone's got deception, if someone's going off in a wrong way that will harm them and hurt them, isn't it the most loving thing that you can do for that person to actually illuminate those things? to actually show them the areas that will do them harm. And that's what Jesus is doing. And when we read the text in context, we're going to read a bit more in a second. Sure, you'll see his correction, but you'll also see his love. He didn't just come to them and point out the problem and go deal with it. He comes to them, he shows them the problem, and then he offers them a solution in himself. Let's read it again, 17. You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Here he goes. I counsel you. Buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. And and come and get from me white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Here it is. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I love that. This is Jesus to the corrected Christian. 
here I am. You who are deceived, here I am. You who are messy, here I am. You who haven't got it all together, here I am. Jesus is saying, here I am, right in the middle of your issue. Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone would hear my voice and open out that door, if anyone would just open up, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Stunning passage to this group of deceived Christians. Jesus is inviting them into a place of intimacy. We've spent so much time looking at verse 20 as a salvation verse, as a verse that we hear in salvation appeals. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And sure, it has an application in that moment of salvation, but the intended application of, of, of verse 20 of behold, I knock was to Christians. It's to Christians who were undergoing correction. That's the intended application. So this offer of intimacy, open up and I will dine with you and you with me. That one was to the Christians with issues. Shoes. That one, that invitation was to the Christians who still had a long way to go. Isn't that glorious? Does anyone feel encouraged by that? In the middle of our issues, he's saying, here I am. Open the door. Let me be intimate with you as we journey these things through. I'm knocking. Would you open up? Would you let me in? I know it's messy. I know it hurts. I know you've failed in that area. I know you've stuffed up, but I'm here. Here I am. Here I am. Here I am. Just open up. I'm here for the journey and I have what you need. That's how he counseled them. He says, buy from me gold. He said, come get white garments from me. Come get salve for your eyes. What's he saying? He's saying, I want to refine your faith. I want to restore your righteousness. That's what those white garments were about. Salve for your eyes. I want to heal the spiritual blindness. I want to do all of those things and I want to do it all in the context of intimacy as we dine together. These are the things he wants to do in us too if we would just open up. I don't know about you, but I think it's a magnificent text. I feel so loved in the context. It's not a cringe. It's not a recoil. It's a lean in to a father that has endless patience for you, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're struggling with. A while back, I got majorly corrected myself by the Father. You ready for a story? (laughs) In the area of my pride, in the area of my ego, image, reputation, self-interest, you name it, I got corrected in it. I want to be able to tell you it was back in the 1990s, but it wasn't. It was 2019, (laughs) just a few short years ago. It was around the time of Nations Conference. If you remember Nations Conference 2019, we called it Prophesy. It's obviously a big deal for us as leaders, you know, a lot of time, a lot of preparation, a lot of organisation. You want to do good. You want it to be good. Anyhow, it was the Friday night of conference. And I had, a, had had a very, very busy day, a lot of running around, and my time schedule throughout the day was very tight. I had given myself a one-hour window in the late afternoon to get myself ready, you know, to shower, to blow dry my hair, to straighten my hair, to do all those things that are important to women. Do I have an amen? 
Yes, amen. Boys are like, man. <laughs> the thing is, it was a really rainy, thunderstormy day, and this hour allotment that I'd given myself to tend to myself, I kid you not, almost to the minute, the power goes out. Total blackout. Which means I can't shower because I won't be able to blow dry my hair and I won't be able to straighten my hair. And I can't even iron my outfit. You know, the outfit that I planned like weeks before. You know, I can't even iron it or maybe not, but you know how it goes. You know, and I had this momentary freak out. What am I going to do? Oh my gosh. And then just after a couple of minutes, I'm like, okay, Holy Spirit. Very funny, Holy Spirit. Thank you for the reminder, Holy Spirit, it is not about me. Okay, I'm going off to conference. It's not about me. Great, good job, well done, Holy Spirit, great. Thank you, it's not about me. And I rallied and I put my hair in a ponytail and I put some makeup on by torchlight. I kid you not, I literally did. I found my least crease top in my wardrobe and away I went, Friday night of conference. And you might think that the story ends there, the Lord dealt with you and... You know, it didn't end there. He had more to say, more to do. If I, I want you to fast forward with me to Saturday night. Conference is now over. God did amazing things. We were pumped. We loved it. We were all like high on adrenaline. And I get home at 10 o'clock at night, something like that. I flop on the couch. And the media team sends through all the photos. And I was excited to look at the photos because I'm like, I'm going to post some on Instagram. I'm going to create an inspirational caption. And anyhow, I flick through these 70 photos or 80 photos of some such and something occurs to me. There's not a single photo of me. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, guys. Was I even at my own conference, you know? (laughs) No, it's not like I'm the pastor already. I'm embarrassed to say that this was some of the carnality that tumbled out of my heart. I was a bit miffed by the situation. I didn't want it to bother me. But I couldn't deny that it bothered me. And I knew it wasn't right before God. I knew it wasn't right. So late that Saturday night, I just opened up before the Lord. I'm like, Father, I see this thing in me. Would you come and deal with this part of me? Would you come and correct this part of me? Like, I invite you in. I don't like it. It's ugly. I know it doesn't please you. I know it's self-interested. And in that moment, I just let it all go in his presence, and it was lovely. And you would think that the story ended there, but no. No. The next morning, a man in our church who is very prophetic unsolicited, he sends me a photo of me at conference. Thing is, the photo that he sends me isn't a very flattering photo. Maybe we can put the photo up. There I am. Yes. I know. I know. That's me at conference. That is the only photo I have of me at Prophesy Conference 2019. (laughs) But as, as I opened, clicked open that photo, I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit really clearly. He said, you want a photo of you at conference? Here's a photo of you at conference. <laughs> but, but he also said, I really like this photo of you. And I know exactly what he meant because of the encounter, because of what he was doing, what was transacting in my heart when that photo 
was taken, and I'm sobbing by this stage on Sunday morning. I'm like, all right, already, Holy Spirit, I get it. I get it. I get it. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. And you would think that the story ends there, but did it. Fast forward one more week, one more week, and the next photo that emerges of me anywhere in like a public context, and I need you to hear my heart right now. I I don't put this up in any way to self-promote. I just want you to hear the intricate and the intimate way in which Father was correcting me as his daughter. I want you to see this photo. This is the very next photo, one week later. It's a photo of me shaking the hand of the then Prime Minister of Australia one week later. And again, Holy Spirit spoke to me so clearly. He said, daughter, if you can get yourself out of the way, if you can go low, I can take you high. If you can do this, then I can do that. If you will allow me to correct you, if you will allow me to cut out every self-interested, ego, pride part of you, even just the one percenters, even just the threats, you go low and I can take you high. I can take you high. I want to tell you that moment of correction changed me. It changed me so deeply and so powerfully. And I'm so grateful that the Lord loves me enough to correct me. I'm so, so grateful that he did not allow me to keep on walking through my leadership life and stand on platforms like this one with just a thread of ego, a thread of pride, a thread of wanting to take a little bit of glory for myself. He wants to give me thrones. He wants to give me crowns. He wants to give them to you too. But he needs to be assured that when he gives them to us, we will lay them down. He said to me in that moment, the glory equation is very simple. I get all of it, you get none. (laughs) You don't need to be good at math to figure that one out. 100% of the glory goes to the Lord. We get none. And I'm so glad that I didn't close him out of that space. I'm so glad that I didn't treat that ego like my image, my reputation, photos of me. Who cares? (laughs) I'm so glad that he did. I didn't close him out of that space, but I opened up because I know I am so much better for it. I'm so much better for his fathering, amen? The singers and musos come back and join me. It's time, disciples of the Lord, it's time. Stop avoiding the corrective hand of the Father. Stop dodging. (laughs) Stop resisting. Open yourself up. Open yourself up. Give him free reign. Don't be afraid to give him free reign. As the scripture says in 1 John 4, there's no fear in love. We just, when we give the Lord free reign, we do not have to be afraid. There's no fear in love. This fear has to do with punishment. But the perfect love of God casts out fear. Don't be afraid to give the Lord free reign. Don't be afraid to open up every part of your life. He's he's so tender. He's so kind. Yeah, he holds the scalpel in his hand. But man, he's an expert at just cutting off 
what you don't need and what won't help and what's actually doing you damage. What does it say? My father is the gardener. (laughs) To the fruitful vine, he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. He wants you to share in his holiness. He wants to produce a harvest of righteousness and peace. But it comes to those who get trained by his correction. Amen. Come on, sons and daughters. Come on, disciples of Jesus. Come on, ones who are being transformed into his likeness and image. Let's open up to the Lord, eh? Thanks for listening to the Nations Church podcast. For more info, please visit nationschurch.com. Thank you.